Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate that. Appreciate good morning that. to you and good morning to the rest of you. Uh, we are very, very glad that you're here. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I am one of the lead pastors uh, here at Soul City Church. And this is Jared Stevens, Hello. my partner in crime, That's also right. my husband. That's right. Um, and, and we are privileged to lead this church. But before we dive into the message today, we wanted to update you about a few really cool things that are happening here at Soul City Church. So would you like to hear some special announcements going yeah, on? Yeah, everyone loves announcements. Yeah. They're not Sorry. announcements. No, okay. There's well, special right, right, things special. that are happening in the church. I just use the I'm word excited. announcement. Yep. Special things. Special um, things. Special things. So many of you may remember that this last September, we as a church went on a amazing faith journey together. Uh, we stepped in and we began a movement of generosity to ask God how he might move in our lives and in this church. If you look around this room, which I would actually ask you to look around right now, we began to ask God, how do we solve the fact that we are out of space? Um, we're out of space, we have four services, uh, and so we began to ask God, what would you want us to do on the land that you so faithfully have provided? And so we, we stepped into a journey called For the Love, a, a journey of generosity. And we, we did three things. We first began and we said, God, uh, we want to ask you, how do you want to use me to be a part of fulfilling the $7 million goal um, to build out this ministry transformation center? So we all began by asking. And then we chose to believe that with 100% of us participating in this, we could actually reach that goal with God's faithfulness that we would be able to accomplish this. And then we all chose to commit. So we asked, we believed, and we committed. And we committed for two years to this faith-raising adventure. Um, and, and we saw God do amazing, amazing things. And so we chose to have an advanced commitment night out on the land. A bunch of leaders came and made their commitments. We as a church had a commitment Sunday here in our weekend service. And it has been amazing to see God's provision. And as of today, we have pledged $5.9 million towards this project. Um, That's incredible. That's incredible. And that is an only God thing. In fact, it required a dance party where we even... Uh, Brought out seems, the Whip It Nene uh, on stage, reasonable. so when God moves, you dance, you dance. Uh, and That's so uh, we, we have been celebrating, and uh, we can take that picture down no, now. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> it's my profile picture. I love it. And so over the last six months, many of you have had so many fun conversations where you've stopped me in the hall, and you're like, so what's going on? Tell me what's happening. You know, when, when are we going to begin? What, what, what's happening? And so over the last six months, we have gotten to work. Uh, we have gotten together and we have built some amazing teams, um, two specific teams that I want to tell you about, an incredible construction team made up of all volunteers here in our church that are filled with unbelievable expertise in each of their fields, from architects to uh, pushing permits through, to GCs, to owner's reps, to people that have built much larger buildings than this, helping us to figure out and finalize what this construction project is really going to look like and how that's going to happen. We have an 
incredible, incredible stewardship team mm -hmm. with godly men and women that have been looking through budgets, that have been looking through all of our financing options, looking through what is the single best way for us to steward the resources that God has provided so that we can, in faith, build this building. And so God's put together an amazing team, and all along, the timeline has been coming together. And we've seen, we've uh, received all kinds of really favorable encouragement. We've met with our aldermen. Uh, we, our permits are turned in to be received back from the city. We don't have the stamp just yet, but we're close. Mm. Um, it, just this last week, we got an email from our neighbor over at the uh, townhouse right behind us that had looked at the plans and is so excited, said, when are you going to start? We can't wait for this to happen in our neighborhood. And so God has been so faithful and has provided so many amazing, amazing things along the way. And so what we wanted to tell you today is that while we still have a gap, we're at 5.9, and we said we were going to raise 7 million, and we're believing in faith that that's going to happen, we are moving forward, and we are going to break ground on Sunday, June 5th as a church. So what does that mean for you? Okay, what that means for you is that you need to save the date, and if you have plans, you need to cancel them, mm -hmm. and you need to be here on Sunday, June 5th, because this is going to be a historic day for our church, for us to really step out on that land and trust that God is going to move as we move forward. Secondly, I want to say to those of you that made a commitment to For the Love, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your trust in mm -hmm. God. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. You know, we said from the very beginning, this could only happen if 100% of us chose to trust God. Mm -hmm. And so for those of you that have been doing that, thank, thank you. you. And I want to say, those of you that made a pledge and you haven't started giving, we need you to begin giving. Mm -hmm. We need you to, in faith, trust God with the pledge that you made and begin to fulfill that um, mm -hmm. so that we can continue to move forward. The third thing that I would say is lots of people have stopped me and said, I wasn't here in September. I didn't get to be a part of it. I didn't get the cool t-shirt. I missed the wicked <laughs> nene. What do I do? And I want to let you know, you are not going to be left out. No, you will not be left out. That's right. You know, we've raised 5.9 and so you can get us to the seven friends. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to give you all kinds of opportunities over over the coming weeks and months to be a part of For the Love. And we want you to know that we want everyone that is a part of Soul City Church to be a part of it. And really the last thing that we would ask you to do is the thing that we asked you to do from the very beginning, and that is to pray. Hmm. Really, that is to pray. You know, this church has been built on prayer. Mm -hmm. You look around the pillars of this church, this whole thing began with prayer, it continues through prayer. And the only way this is going to be accomplished and we are ever going to worship in that other auditorium is if we pray. I, I am firmly convinced that that is how this is all going to happen. And so I would say, pray. There's still so much that needs to take place. There's still so much that needs to be accomplished. There's still so much of God's providence that we have yet to see and I believe we're going to see. And so I would say, please pray with us as we continue to move forward. But whatever you are doing on June 5th, 
cancel it, <laughs> and choose to be here as we break ground in faith and move forward with For the Love. So we wanted to tell you about that this morning. It has nothing to do with the message, but it has everything to do <laughs> with right. what God is doing in and through our church. I love it. That was a very special announcement, Jeannie. So dang, that was awesome. See, announcements See? can be good. That's right. That's yes. right. I love it. I'm excited about where God's leading us. And I want to let you know where we're at today. We are actually in week three of a teaching series called The Power of Partnering, where we're looking at how God has actually created you to live in partnership with him and with others, that life is actually better together, that you were never meant to go at this whole thing alone, that God created in you a need, a dependency on him and on others. And so today we're going to look at the power of partnering in marriage, the marriage covenant. We're going to look at that. And I want to say just at the, like the giddy up, like right out the gate, here's the deal. We are not going to say everything that the Bible has to say about marriage today. There's simply not enough time. So if you're like, oh, why don't you talk about this? Because there's just not enough time. All right, we have other messages where we've taught on this in the past. Today, we're going to focus on that idea of partnering and why that's so essential and at the core of this marriage covenant is this idea of partnership. So if you're married today or if you're single or if you're single again, find yourself single again in this season, our hope is to paint a picture from you from the teachings of the Bible that, again, at the core of this covenant, that marriage is actually meant to be a partnership. And our hope would be that you would find God in the midst of that. Wherever you're at, whether you're married or single or single again, and that you would settle for nothing or no one less than a partner that God has actually created you to live with. And so we're, we're you know, going to be diving in deep to the Bible today, but I want to be really, really honest with you. When we met each other, when we started dating, I had no idea about this stuff. I had no idea well, about anything. Let's be honest, about, about anything. And when, when we started dating, I didn't know how important this idea of partnership really, really is for the picture of marriage. So I brought a picture of us when we were dating. That's us many, many years ago. That's back when uh, Eminem dated Amy Grant and we were... Um, <laughs> Many, many, many years ago. So that's back when a selfie took like yeah. two weeks to develop. And so we... We can take that down yeah, now. Yeah, that's, that I is, love it. That's a that great, could hurt some people's I eyes. I love that. That's a, I think it's a great picture. Look, I didn't know anything. I, all I knew at that point was that I'd never met anyone. I'd never met anyone like Jeannie before. I'd never met anyone that was as beautiful and was as smart and was as confident um, and loved God as much as she does, loved others, was called and committed to God's work in the world. I had never met anyone like her. And so I didn't know much. All I knew was I had to lock that down. And so, so we began dating. And I was right out the I gate. We're very you're serious. referring to me as something to lock, lock down. That down. Put so a ring romantic. on it. Put a ring on it. Yeah. Listen, I knew, I knew what I was up against. And so, so, so we dated for a while. We dated about long distance for about a year and a half. Dated total for three years. So it took me a little while to lock that down. But we did. Uh, and we got married. And uh, I brought a picture from our wedding day. This is uh, from our wedding day. This August is 20 years that we've been married. So we'll celebrate 20 years and have a party to celebrate that. Uh, and again, on that day, as beautiful as it was and as dressed up as we were, we had no idea of how important this picture of partnership really is to the covenant of marriage. See, all I kind of knew at that point was up to that point, uh, and if I'm being honest, up to this very day, uh, my whole life had been all about me. It would have been all about me. It's all what I want, what I need, my timeline, my agenda, my, you know, it's all about me, what I want, what I need. 
And when we made that covenant commitment of marriage, there was something that began to shift on that day. And that was uh, me moving from me to we. And when we got married, it didn't happen like the next day, like after our wedding, like, oh, we're a perfect partnership. It's taken us years and years and years of working together. And what we found is that there is a transformational process that can happen in the partnership of marriage when you move from me to we. And that's really what partnership is and what we're going to look at today. Partnership is the process of you moving from me to we. It's the process of you moving from me to we. And while we don't, it's not always easy, and we're going to talk about a little bit of that in a moment. It's not always easy moving from me to we. It's just always better. Mm. Always better. So what we want to do is we actually want to go back to the very first partnership. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible. It's in the seat back in front of you. You're going to turn all the way to the left to Genesis 2, and we're going to look at the very first partnership, the very first human partnership that was ever established. What's amazing about this partnership is that it is actually formed out of a per perfect partnership. It is formed out of the perfect partnership of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the partnership of the Trinity, the partnership of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, forms this partnership in Genesis 2 between the very first man and the very first woman. So we're going to start in Genesis 2, starting at verse 18. It says, the Lord God said this, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Jump down to verse 20. So the man, so there's all of the animals, there's all of the livestock. God gave the job to Adam to name all of the animals, all of the livestock. And it says this, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper that was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he had taken it out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh, one partnership. And then it closes with this picture. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, Jared has told me many times that Genesis 2.25 is one of his favorite passages That's in right. all of the Bible. Um, it's like a lot, yeah. It's like a life verse for me. I would recommend you finding a new life yeah. verse. Yeah. Not in public, not in public, right, in right, marriage. Right. It's a life verse. Uh, it's between me and God, okay? You wouldn't understand. All right, so I love this passage that Jeannie just uh, led us through, and we're going to stay in this passage and look at how God rolls out this principle of partnership in the very beginning. In the creation story, there's a, a principle of partnership at play, and it's important that we talk about this because uh, there can be a lot of uh, confusion about sort of the, the how and the why of when, men, when uh, women and men are created, how and why God created men and women. And this confusion around this idea and even specifically kind of around this passage and a few others has been going on for like uh, a couple thousand years. And so what we want to do is actually dive in deep to that today and speak to some of the confusion with clarity that comes uh, from the teaching in the heart of God. And uh, what 
what, why it's so important is because some of this confusion has actually, in fact, even led to division between men and women. Some of the confusion around what's going on here has led even to some uh, division between men and women. So what we want to do is dive in deep to the power uh, and the picture of partnership planted in the garden that we just read about. Now, we had lots of questions come in this last week. We asked for your questions. We're going to try and get to a few at the end of the message. But uh, a couple of the questions came in around this idea of spiritual leadership. Now, if you've been around kind of church stuff for a while, you've maybe heard that phrase before. When it comes to our life with God and it comes to a marriage, who's in, basically the question is who's in charge? So when it comes to a marriage, who's in charge? And, and who does God say is in charge? And that's a really great question because there's a lot of sort of assumptions around specifically this passage and a few others. Uh, and, and they have to do with the idea of the order of things in which God created them and that that sort of institutes a sort of gender hierarchy. So the assumption is that because Adam was created first and Eve was created second, that there's a gender hierarchy that God created Adam first and there he is naming all the animals and Adam kind of saw in every animal that they all had partners and he didn't. And so he gets lonely and so God creates Eve to help Adam out. And let's just pause for a moment and be really honest. Men need all the help they can get. And so you see that in the very beginning of the Bible. And so the assumption here is that men were made to be in charge and women were made to help. And maybe this is something that you were taught growing up, or maybe this was modeled in your home, or it's a kind of a cultural assumption that men are meant to be in charge and women are meant to help. And I, and I can understand why people would draw this conclusion, especially when you look at verse 18, the passage Jeannie just read. I want to put that back up for a second. Genesis 2.18 says this, Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, what's the word? Helper. Helper, suitable for him. So even that word, like helper, like, you know, that's just, Adam's the one that's supposed to do it. And Eve is supposed to be the one that comes alongside to help him. Adam came first, so he must be in charge. So I just want to unpack that just for a moment. We're going to dive in deep to this principle of partnership. Let's talk about order just for a moment. The assumption here, this gender hierarchy is that because Adam was created first and Eve was created second, Adam is in charge. Now, if that were actually the case, play that whole scenario out over the total uh, creation story. And what do you get? If Eve submits to Adam because Adam was first, then Adam should submit to the animals. And what that means then, if that were the case, if order determined hierarchy, then we would all actually be ruled by cats and dogs right now. <laughs> and they would all be ruled by plants and trees. And while that would be really cool, it's not how it actually works, is it? Order doesn't determine hierarchy in the creation account. It doesn't. It's just not how it works. Now, you can look back to verse 18 and go, okay, 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 so if order doesn't do that, okay, I get that, but there's the word helper, like God said that Eve is to be a helper, so doesn't that kind of let, you know, Adam's in charge, Eve is there to help? Well, not if you actually break down what the original word was used in the original Hebrew language in verse 18. That word helper is very important because the uh, original word that it came from is actually the word ezer. Ezer. So we have helper in this verse, but it really means Ezer. I want everyone to say Ezer. Yes. And a proper pronunciation is Ezer, but we'll just call it Ezer because it's easier for you. You're from Chicago. So we'll call it Ezer. All right. And what that root word actually comes from, Ezer comes from two main root words. And it means literally to help, to rescue. That word helper means to rescue or to save. And it also means strength. 
So the word helper in our understanding, like we think of like a teacher's aide, right? Or like a superhero sidekick. Like they're just there to help the main person who's in charge. It's not what the original word ezer actually means. It means to rescue, to save. It means strength. Hmm. Now you go, well, okay, but what is, how does that play out in the Old Testament? Well, I'm glad you asked. You didn't ask, but I'm glad you maybe would have asked eventually. Here's that word actually is used 21 times in the Old Testament, two times in reference to Eve, three times in reference to a combat situation or campaign, military context, 16 times in reference to God, that God is actually our rescuer. Hmm the one who saves. He is our Eb and Ezer, the rock of our salvation and strength. See, this is a very important thing for us to understand what God is writing at the very beginning of the story, that Eve is actually there not to sort of be a helper to the one who's in charge, but to partner with in equality, in strength together to accomplish all that God had set them out to do in community. She is actually his equal. And together in the context of community, they get to enjoy all of the beauty of equality and partnership. This kind of equality, seeing each other as equals, is essential to biblical community. You cannot have biblical community with inequality. Hmm. It does not work. And so it's essential to biblical community. And it's important to understand that equality is not the absence of distinction, Mm. but rather the celebration of it. Equality is me seeing the difference in you and saying, that's awesome. You're different from me. We're not actually the same. I see my wife, she's different from me. File that under no duh. (laughs) Different from me. But instead of me going, oh, you're different, I'm better, you're not. I'm more important than you. I see her as my equal and I celebrate her distinctions and she celebrates my differences and distinctions mm-hmm. and God celebrates your uniqueness as you were actually created in ultimately his image as equals together, equally loved and nurtured and cared for by God and by each other. This is the picture of partnership planted in the garden that together in the context of equality, we experience biblical community and partnership with each other. So you would ask probably, so this, this relationship between Adam and Eve, this, this moment in the garden where we first see equality, where we first see this partnership between man and woman, what does that actually have to do with marriage today? So if this was the very first partnership established, if if God said, this is what it looks like, well then how does that affect us today? If partnership is the ultimate goal of marriage where two people actually become one partnership, well then how do they do that? Do, do they just automatically wake up and, and, and their distinctions are, you know, are, are gone and they're submitted to one another and they're this beautiful partnership? We have not found that. We have found that a good partnership requires commitment and work. One of the best marriage books that I've ever read is written by a guy named Gary Thomas. It's called Sacred Marriage. And he says this, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Mm. Isn't that good? What if God designed marriage? What if God designed a partnership for the purpose of making us holy more than the purpose of making us happy. 
But what I have seen and what I've experienced is that most people move into marriage, they move into a partnership with the hope that it is going to fulfill their happiness quest. <laughs> In fact, one of the things that we love to do here at Soul City is we've got this beautiful ministry called Soulmates, uh, where we walk engaged couples uh, through a process of preparing them for marriage. Jared and I get the privilege of teaching at that class, the very first one. And what we tell the engaged couples, and they're all starry-eyed, and they're so excited, and they're thinking about their wedding, they're thinking about their marriage, and we get up, and the very first thing that we say to them is, we want to let you know that as a church, we do not care about your wedding. <laughs> we don't care about the DJ. We don't care about the flowers. We don't care about your dress, as beautiful as it probably is. We don't care about the location. We don't care about how many people are coming. We don't care about the caterer. We don't care about any of that. What we care about is every single day after that day. Mm. That's what we most care about. So that this marriage covenant can actually be a place and a partnership that aids in the process of you becoming holy. And what we have found is when both are committed to that partnership, holiness is accomplished as well as happiness. That's what's amazing is what God does. And so you see a good marriage, a strong, sturdy marriage of substance is not just something that you go out and find. It is something that has to be built. Mm -hmm. It is something that has to be committed to. And over the last 20 years, there have been so many different ingredients that have gone into the building of our marriage. Now we have far, far, far from a perfect marriage. But there have been some consistent themes that have come up over the last 20 years that have helped to contribute to a strong partnership. And I just want to share a couple of them with you this morning. The first is that our partnership has required forgiveness. Our partnership, our relationship with one another has not become strong, it has not become sturdy without our willingness to forgive one another. A strong marriage partnership needs forgiveness. When I hold out and I hold on to grudges, when I replay old stories from the past, when I cling to my judgments, when I say words that are harsh or mean or destructive, none of these are building our partnership. They're tearing it down. But when we seek and offer forgiveness, when we say things like, I'm sorry, when we choose humility, that is the building of a strong partnership. It just happened a couple of days ago. Jarrett and I were on our way. We went to go um, support some friends and something that they were doing out of state. And so we flew out to be a part of it. And on the way to the airport, we were in the taxi on our way there. And we had what I would call a strong discussion. Mm -hmm. It's a very strong discussion very strong. in which mm -hmm. I was convinced I was right. Okay. This strong discussion was not going the way that I wanted it to go. And we had, we had an argument and the taxi driver was listening to the entire uh. thing. <laughs> and so, you know, I keep, I kept building my argument, hoping that the taxi driver was going to speak up and say, you know, buddy, she She's is right. right. Um, and I got frustrated in that moment. I shut down. I kind of moved away. 
I, I, I played kind of some, some games in my mind, like I'm just not gonna talk right now. I'm just gonna choose wisdom and I'm gonna be silent and... You're very spiritual, you're very spiritual. I'm gonna let my silence speak for yes. myself. Yes. And in that moment, Jarrett just said, hey babe, can we have a redo? Can we have a redo? I, that's not how I wanted to approach that conversation. That's not, that's not what I was communicating, is not what my heart was. Will you forgive me? And I said, same. I, I, I was holding out for what I wanted in this conversation. I was wanting to be right more than I wanted to care about our we and, and this relationship. What was supreme in that moment was me being right. And so I let go of that and just said, will you forgive me? To have a strong partnership, you should be saying I'm sorry probably every day. There's probably a moment in some day where you should just lean over to your partner and say, guess what, I chose me. Mm -hmm. I chose me over we, and will you forgive me? Mm -hmm. Will you forgive me? Will you help me continue to choose we? So forgiveness has been required. Our partnership has required intimacy. And I'm choosing to put this in here, and I chose for a very um, important reason. Um, you know, we've been married almost 20 years now, and I have watched a lot of couples over the last 20 years, and I've watched this mm -hmm. in ourselves, and I've watched how this can so subtly happen. You can just drift into a legal partnership. Mm -hmm. That at some point, you stood in a church or you stood somewhere and you made some vows and you were all starry-eyed and you were all in love and then you went on a honeymoon. I'm looking at Brianna and Brennan who just got back from their honeymoon. You guys are fine. You can just be quiet right now and not listen to this part. But the rest of you in the room, I want to say to you, your intimacy is necessary to build a strong partnership. Mm -hmm. It is a gift that God has given to your marriage. And when you just become about taking the kids to school and paying the taxes and making sure that the bills get done and you buy the house and you mulch the yard and the oil is changed and this got done and that got done. You are just a legal partnership. You are not the intimate partnership of marriage that God designed. And so you both, and I wanna say this very strongly, it requires both of oh. you to choose that intimacy. Yeah. When that gets rested on just one to be the pursuer of that intimacy, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Both of you have the responsibility of pursuing that intimacy. So that has been essential. Choosing date nights. Um, there have been so many times where I'm just like, you know what? My sweatpants feel way too good for us to yeah. go out on a date right now. You know, or I just want to stay home and I just want to chill. And, it, you know, I, I don't want to go and have an intentional conversation. There you go. There's my intentional conversation. You know, and, and, and it has required work to pursue intimacy. The last thing that I would say is that our partnership has required sacrifice. In order for us to build a strong partnership, it has required sacrifice. Dan Allender, who also wrote a fantastic marriage book called Intimate Allies, he says a successful marriage is one in which two broken and forgiving people stay committed to one another in a sacrificial relationship, even in the face of life's chaos. Mm. One of the things 
that we committed to, and we have far from a perfect marriage, but one of the things that we committed to when we got married was that there was not an escape route. Mm -hmm. There was not a back door to this marriage. There was not a way out. That when we said, till death do we part, it really was, till death do we part. And over the last 20 years, there have been a lot of valleys and there have been a lot of mountains. In fact, just the other day, I was going through some old journals, I was looking for something, and I was looking at a journal from about eight years ago when we were in Atlanta, and we were walking through a really hard season in our marriage, really hard. And throughout the last 20 years, we've invited a lot of different people and mentors and counselors, we've paid a lot of people to build a strong marriage, um, and we were in counseling at that time and I was looking through my journal and I was looking at some of the questions that we were wrestling with in our marriage. And in that season, we both continued to march forward. Mm -hmm. We both said, this is where we're headed and it might be a really hard path to get there, but we are committed to the sacrificial love of we. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that journal was filled with? Mm -hmm. A whole lot of me. Mm -hmm. A whole lot of stuff that this me wanted that that me wasn't <laughs> doing. And when I was able to lay a lot of that down and choose into our partnership over me, it's amazing how much growth actually took place in me. And so these have been some of the ingredients that have been necessary um, for grit and grace to be produced in our partnership over the last 20 years. And I would say that that last one, the sacrifice, is easily one of the hardest ones for me. Because if I'm being really honest, I am really good at finding a way to get my way. Like, just watch me. I'm really good. Sometimes it's like overt and I'll just, but lots of times it's real sly and subtle. I'll find a way to get my way, one way or the other, to be right, to make sure that the taxi driver sides with me in the fight, to make sure she knows that my needs are more important than hers. Left to myself, I'll find a way to get my way. And here's what I've found and learned the hard way and have hurt the one I love the most in this world by learning this lesson. So maybe it might spare you and someone you love some pain is that every time I fight for me, we lose. I may win in the short term. Hmm. I may be right in the short term. I may win the argument. I may get my way. I may get to pick the movie, whatever it is, right? Big or small. Whenever I fight for me, here's what happens. We actually lose. But praise God, the opposite is true as well. When I fight for we, when I choose we over me, we actually both win. It's amazing. When I choose we, this partnership that God has painted for us and planted in the garden, when I choose we, here's what ends up happening. We actually both win. Hmm. By God's grace, we find a way that both of us can win. So I can either choose to kind of win it on my own and choose me and we lose, or I can choose we, a partnership where we come together like Jeannie just talked about as best we can and to really experience that so that we can both win. So here's a question. For those of you who are married or are seriously dating and considering 
Uh, marriage is part of your relationship. Here's a great question. I, it's a very simple question. I believe this simple question can have powerful transformational effects. So you might want to jot it down and you might want to let your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend see you writing it down. Just be really clear that you're <laughs> taking notes and how much you're paying attention at church today. Uh, here's the simple question. How can we win? How can we win? So when you're in an argument, this is one of the best places, one of the hardest and best places for you to practice this. Okay, okay, okay. I know what I want. I know what I want. Make sure you hear that I want. But how do we win in this? And it can break up an argument pretty quickly. Wait, okay, wait. What would it look like for both of us to win? What would it look like for both of us to treat each other like equals? How can we win? When it comes to sort of, you know, our finances, when it comes to the responsibilities that we have around the house or around family, whatever it is, how do we do this in a way where we both win, where I don't just live off of uh, assumptions and expectations, but that we actually have communication and we talk about it? How can we actually win in this moment? How can we come together with God at the center to better partner together in the endeavor of marriage? And for those of you who are single, or maybe you find yourself single again, and you're still trying to figure out how you got here and what may be next, you think about this idea of partnership and choosing we over me, I would encourage you maybe with this thought, is the person that you're interested in, interested in we. Not just are they interested in you. I'm sure they're very, you're a very interesting person. I'm sure they're very interested in you. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Praise God. But are they interested in we? Are they interested in partnership? Are they as interested in your world as you are in theirs? Are you as interested in their world as they are in yours? Do they come to you as an equal? Or are there already power plays in the relationship? Are they interested in we? And if so, then maybe this is someone that can kind of continue to see, okay, God, I'm not sure where this will go. Or I'm going to look for someone who's actually interested in this principle of partnership. Now, we said we'd get to your questions. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. I think it'd be great if you went the one uh, that was sent to you. We'll kind of in the next, you know, couple days, weeks or so, we'll get to some of the rest of these questions, but I'd love the one that so, you're yeah, going to take. One of the questions that came in, which is a really good question, and uh, we've, we've been through seasons like this. It, the question is this, what do you do when one spouse is doing much better spiritually than the other? So maybe one is in a valley and one is on a mountaintop. Um, maybe one is really interested in growing in a relationship with God and the other is just not. So I jotted down uh, four things that uh, have been important to us. The first is pray. And I would ask you this question, do you pray for your partner? Do you pray for your spouse? Um, the second thing, Trust that God is at work in your spouse's life. Trust that God is at work in their spiritual relationship with him. And here's what I would say. When you trust that God is at work, you know that you are not the one that has to be at work. Hmm. When you trust that God is the one that is at work in somebody's spiritual life, in your partner's life then you don't have to be the one that is at work. You see, all of your subtle, little, subliminal messages of trying to get them to do what you want them to do, i.e. you trying to be God in their life, that doesn't work. Mm -mm. In fact, that does not 
move and motivate someone closer to God, oftentimes it's what repels them. Mm -hmm. So do you trust God to be at work? The third is the role of encouragement and support. Do you encourage? Do you listen? Do you ask questions? Do you get curious with your spouse? Or do you just bring judgment? Do you just say, my relationship with God is so much better and stronger than yours, you need to get on the bandwagon? I mean, how would you respond if someone said that to you? Hmm. You'd probably run the other way. Hmm. And so offering encouragement and support and care and curiosity is so much stronger. And then the last that I would say is, don't coach your spouse. This is just a rule for life, but especially in this situation. You are not your spouse's coach. You're your spouse's partner. Hmm. You know, you can be their best cheerleader. You can be the one that encourages and motivates and supports them in their relationships with God and with others, but you are not their coach. In fact, Probably one of the more pivotal moments in our marriage was about seven years into our marriage. And Jared, very lovingly, we were on a date and uh, we were having one of those strong conversations, um, those strong discussions. And he just said, babe, I, I just gotta say to you, like when, when we got married seven years ago, and when we stood in the front of that church and you were all dressed up and all of our family was there and all of our friends and all the songs and all the fanfare and all of it, I don't remember the moment when I said, and I take you, Jeannie, to be my life coach. It's <laughs> true. Makes for a great date night, that kind of Strong. And it was probably some of the most loving words that were ever spoken to me. They were not words that I enjoyed swallowing down, but he was giving me the gift of truth. And I knew it. I knew it. I knew that I had just been this coach all around him, just like, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. Oh, did you talk to this person about that? Oh, did you do this? Oh, did you do that? And he's like, honey, I want a partner. I love you with my whole heart. I want a wife. I'll go buy a life coach, okay? <laughs> I'll go pay for that. But what I want in you is a wife. And do you know what? This is just free of charge, free of charge advice right now, okay? Anytime you are coaching someone else and you are telling them how to run their life, it is just a subtle way for you to not take responsibility of your own life. That's right. And so every time I have learned that I get into that coachy energy, for me, it's just a way for me to avoid the things that God wants to do inside of me. And all of that needed to get turned around and I needed to look in the mirror and I need to see all of this energy that I'm applying to coaching Jarrett is really just ways for me to grow in taking responsibility for my own life and my own walk with God. Hmm. So coaching didn't really work for us. Um, <laughs> yeah. But partnership has, yeah. and I think I would say for, I mean, Jeannie already knows this. I would hope that you would know this, that I love my wife. I love our marriage. I love that we get to partner together. I love the highs and the lows. I love, I can't believe we're celebrating 20 years this year. Like, I love marriage, 
But I will say this, marriage is not everything. I wanna be really clear about that. This is awesome, it's not everything. Incredibly important, but it's not the point. Jesus is everything. Mm, yes. And he's everything to us. And the only hope our marriage has of making it another 20 years mm. is if Jesus is everything and more important even than our marriage. Does that make sense? Because here's the reality of Jesus. We follow a savior who himself never married. A single savior. And anytime church makes marriage the point, they miss the point. Mm. And so we want to share wisdom that comes from the Bible. We believe this principle of partnership is woven in right at the very beginning. But that's not the point of it all. Because the bigger story is, guess what happened to Adam and Eve right after this moment? They messed up. And they chose me over we and over God. And in that moment, God made a promise all those many years ago that there would be a savior to come mm -hmm. who could make right, mm -hmm. who could restore who could renew, and because of his yes to God, that's the only reason we can say yes to each other. Mm -hmm. Because of his obedience to God, even to death, even to death on a cross, we actually, that's the only reason we have a shot and a chance in this life. And so we don't wanna miss the point today. We love talking about marriage, we love sharing our marriage, but we'd rather you hear and we'd rather end on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so what we're gonna do is take a moment to to honor and to celebrate and to remember the fact that Jesus is the one that actually made it all possible, that it's in him that we find salvation, that we find transformation, that we find hope and purpose and even a chance of partnership. So we're gonna receive the elements of communion, something I love that we do here. We do it every month as a church. We pause and we say, we don't wanna ever forget what God has done for us through Jesus. And so in a moment, our hosts are gonna pass forward the elements and all you need to do is take the elements and hold them. There's gonna be a piece of gluten-free cracker for you to grab, so I want you to grab that. And then there's a little cup, so carefully pull that out and hold that. And all you need to do is hold on to that because we wanna just stop and remember the reality of Jesus that makes this all possible. So I'm gonna invite them to come and to pass that forward now. Just hold that in a moment of quiet, remembrance, and reflection, and then I'll lead us through a response together.